Hello, Trash Future listeners. Please enjoy this Britnology preview. And just as a heads up, we've unlocked the UK Rave Comments episode of Britnology to the $5 tier. And that episode is linked in the description of this preview as well. Hope you enjoy. And, and I think we'll touch on this with a lot of different kind of archetypes and stereotypes mm. that we're going to talk about. But there's a sort of existential clash in poshness now where there are some people who, if you are super old money, but you don't have any money anymore, which is lots of them because, like, mm. you know, fundamentally fortunes rise and fall unless you're guaranteed land by the king and they're no longer guaranteed land by the king. Mm. So some of them lose all their money. Yeah, that guy's dead. That, that happens. Um, so lots of, th- lots of those people, not all, but lots of those people uh, in the absence of financial superiority will cling on to the old titles and the old circles their family moved in and, you know, all of that shit and really cling on to the trappings of poshness um, uh, to kind of, as part of a sort of insecurity that they're actually losing the seniority they once had. But then there's, and, you know, obviously what happens is like the young, the, you know, the younger the generation gets, the more everyone's like being posh isn't exactly in at the moment. Um, Mm. So there are loads of people who, you know, I know, Milo knows, who are, who go into kind of stealth mode. And there are various different, you know, you can do the thing where you just kind of moderate your voice a little bit. Yep. Um, or you can do the thing where you fully like change voice, change persona, change how you dress, change how, change what job you do, change who mm. you hang out with, change your political beliefs, but all out of this like insecurity about appearing to be like your parents. Yeah. It's basically like a, re- it's basically rebellion against your parents, but taking the form of like, I am going to renounce all of poshness. The thing that's going to be interesting, because we're both still in our late 20s, is is to see whether at the time those, of recording is to see whether those people who like are now are kind of um, living in squats in Deptford and like DJing twice, but a, also twi- wearing a signet ring, DJing twice a week, um, will in ten years just inherit an enormous amount of money, move to a big farmhouse in the country, and go Scottish dancing a lot. And I, I think it's mm. entirely possible that a load of them will, and I cannot wait. Scottish dancing, I do kind of want to return to because I felt like that was such a like amazing. Like, if there was a sect yeah. of people you wanted to avoid at Cambridge, you could not go to Scottish dancing and avoid a good I number of them. I never went to one there no. for that reason. Because um, I remember there was a girl also that who we both know who was at my college who. Her only criteria for dating men was that they should be as posh as possible. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah. she used to go to Scottish dancing specifically to meet the most Habsburg jaw motherfuckers she could yeah. possibly find. <laughs> but I think this is a... Because I think there's a there's different types of... Because what we're talking about is snobbery here. We're talking yeah. about like... And, and that's a term that obviously gets thrown around an enormous amount. Mm. But, the, but it, I, I think the, the motivation for snobbery is never as active and deliberate as we'd like to believe. Like we never go like nobody ever says like, oh, I'm not going to talk to that person because you know they're beneath me and it might undermine my social status if I'm seen with that person. That's never the mentality. What the mentality is for a load of these people is like, I only know one way to behave. I only know one worldview one set of hobbies, one set of conversational topics. Mm. And if I talk to somebody who doesn't share all of those, I have no idea what to do. 
and I cannot hold a conversation with anybody who does not have these things in common with me. Dog racing, you say? Is that a kind of pedophilia? Well, dog racing in a way is okay because you can talk about horse racing and it's the same. But if you but if you can't talk to somebody about skiing, rugby, horse racing, Scottish dancing, mm. um, you know, whether you've been to the same places on holiday, you know, it's all of which school you went to. It's all of that stuff. Who you know in common, that becomes like a so that becomes an amazing uh posh conversational talking point. Yeah. Is people going Oh, you must know Binky, and because and then, it is, and you're this, like, which one? <laughs> because it is this, uh, uh, as as our Canadian friend would say, unique social microclimate. Um, it's, it's a bit like the mafia; like everyone has these absolutely inscrutable nicknames. Wait, Binky Constance or Binky Fingers? And he was just like, what? <laughs> but this is the thing, right? Like, basically everybody, basically every person is the same. Like, there's not like a genetic mindset difference sure, yeah. between. Mm posh people and non-posh people, although some of them would like to think that there is. Um, <laughs> the skull sizes. Fundamentally, everybody has this impulse to hang out with people who are a bit like them in some mm. kind of way, whether it's to share something in common, whether it's you have a similar view on the world, similar mm. sense of humour, whatever. So the, the problem is, if, if you're raised in a way that teaches you that there is a set of rules that you have to live by and a way that you have to behave, the it coaches you towards a particular group of people that you have to hang out with for the rest of your life. And it's, I think, pretty difficult to break out of that because everyone else, by the time you're about 25, thinks you're a knob. <laughs> yeah. I mean... So, it's, so again, like it, I think it's fundamentally quite a tragic story rather than like a malicious one most of the time. Mm. Oh, and I also found, like again, encountering... Uh, and I think it goes back to a bit of conversation we were having off mic where like I found that a lot of the real hardcore poshos that I encountered at Cambridge were like more kind of affable and easier to get on with than the mid-tier trying to be posher than they were people. Well, this and gets- that's kind of what that girl we were just talking about was like. She wasn't yeah. even that posh but she was like keen to marry up and as a result was way more insufferable than a lot of the just kind was of like she sort bumbling of explicit about this was that like a or was it just like the people she hung it, out with were a bit just, like that? it was just kind of a powerful vibe that she exuded yeah, okay. um yeah and um, she would like very explicitly but she she had that like real curse where like she was in love with all these guys who were like extremely posh who didn't even know she existed but there were also a bunch of guys who were slightly less posh than her who were all in love with her who she was like but they're disgusting <laughs> wouldn't even look at them genuine genuine yeah. Jane Austen energy very yeah, good yeah 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 it but, was um, um but this gets to the heart of quite a lot of this like the the people who are kind of posh posh mm-hmm. where there's like um you know just absolute social confidence and comfort mm. that I think we've probably all met one or two people who are so posh yeah. that they there's no insecurity there there's no like it, there's just the genuine conviction that you're still the most important and powerful person in the room and everybody is sort of subject to you in some way which you know if you ask somebody they, they wouldn't say that that's how they feel but there's a little bit of that where they feel mm. like, and, and what that does is really powerful because it just means you can like, I bet if you meet Prince William, he can just walk into a room and he owns the room mm-hmm. because he kind of actually on legal principles, if you go back, it, it, you know, the fundamentals of British land law, actually his grandmother does fundamentally own the room. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, that's why she wrote that book, How but, to Own but, the but Room. But there's that, and then, and then there is the opposite of that, which is, mm. and there are loads of different groups of people who are trying to affect poshness. Yeah. Mm. There are people who are a bit posh, but of, you know, 
no longer got a lot of cash and so mm. the poshness is sort of all you got left all of that sort of thing so the poshness gets dialed up yeah there are as milo said the um people it, it's so interesting there's a kind of like wealthy you, you know you know the people. kind of adoption curve of what's like a sophisticated thing to do you know like being on facebook isn't cool now um but it was in 2004 for exactly example. that yeah, yeah there's yeah, the yeah. same thing with posh stuff so for instance being in like a members club depending mm. on the members club Apparently, there are now like loads of clubs in Mayfair where basically all of the members are either kind of Russian oligarchs or like Essex boys who've made a load of money doing, doing whatever business they're in. Right. And the people who think of themselves as like sophisticated, old money, posh English people have like migrated and they've moved out because they're like, that's not a posh place anymore. Um, not even so any you young know, boys there so you know like if if somebody goes like oh yeah well fabric's dead now you know there's no good sure know, yeah 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 the, the tourists have turned up in fabric now there's like the reverse of that which is that like um this place is now too new and everybody who is not everybody who wasn't a member in 1600 is now a member We've had to decamp from Boodles and start meeting inside a Fabergé egg. <laughs> That's become filled with Essex people. See, see, I, I think Fabergé eggs are probably quite nouveau. Oh, yeah, possibly, yeah. The Russian Tsar was a bit... Yeah, like, exactly, That's it's a it. bit of a wide the, boy. The thing, the, thing that, <laughs> <laughs> the thing that gets me is um, dealing with this with regard to when you live here and you look at, for example property listings for rental or potentially like when you're like well i wonder how much it would cost to buy a place mm, yeah and you look at the laws with freehold versus leasehold and how leases work and stuff and the fact that you might legitimately in you know a part of london or another city elsewhere in the country or a town you might buy a home and technically you don't own the land that the home is built on because an aristocratic lord owns that land on a thousand year lease or a 500 year lease or a hundred year lease or something along those lines. And it has to be renewed mm. to me. I'm just like the first time Milo explained it to me, I was like, you must be fucking joking. Like if, you know, if Duke Nonsington owns this land, mm. like he technically is your landlord, even if you own the house it's built mm. on forever. And he's like, yeah, 